Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to our church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, if you'd like to get connected to biblical community through groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve the body of Christ with us, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word HUBCITY to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Well, our summer schedule has just come out and you can find it on social media, our website, and the Church Center app. The first event is going to be our May Play Day on Sunday, May 28th. In lieu of community groups, we will have a fellowship in our backyard with burgers, birthday cake, and a giant water slide to celebrate our church's 15-year anniversary. So we hope you'll make plans to join us for that and all of the fun fellowship and outreach opportunities we'll have this summer. As we get ready to enter into corporate worship, if you're concerned about having little ones in service with you, we want you to be at ease. We love kids and have a lot of them here. There are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary, our kids ministry is always available to you, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Well, hey, good morning again. My name is Tad Anderson. I am the lead teaching pastor at the Hub City Church. And once again, just on behalf of our church family, we are so glad you're here this morning to worship Jesus with us. And uh, just a few announcements, two, two announcements before we get into the word. Um, the first thing is uh, our summer schedule has officially um, been posted to social media and, and all of that. And so uh, the, the first event that we have this summer is going to be our May Play Day. We did that last year uh, where we just kind of get together as a church family out in the backyard. And, but this year we have a special occasion for this particular a theme for this, uh, this May Play Day. Um, actually, this month, our church turned 15 years old. So that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, you know, with all the with Easter stuff and the the relaunch of our you know our name change and all that, we didn't get to celebrate appropriately, and so we want to do that on our May play day. We're going to celebrate that with burgers, birthday cake, and a big old water slide because that seems like a good way to uh, have a summer birthday celebration. So uh, we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, it's going to be on the 28th of of May, and uh, I think we're going to do it at like 4 p.m. in lieu of community group. Uh, that night. All the community group leaders have agreed, hey, we'll just make that our big fellowship time together. So please come, please eat burgers and birthday cake and go down a water slide. Um, whether you're four or 40, we'd love to see that. So that'd uh, be, a, be, a, be a good time. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the second thing is, this is not in my notes, but man, we're getting like so close on that uh, evangelism tracker we've got, our tube back there. And so, man, those, and when those balls get to the top, that's going to be 200 times we've shared the gospel or invited someone to church this year so far. I think there's like under 20 uh, ping pong balls left. So uh, find somebody to share the gospel with this week. Find somebody to invite to church this week so we can fill that thing up, okay? Uh, that's my second announcement. That's just impromptu. But uh, today is our last Sunday 
in the book of Proverbs. It's kind of uh, bittersweet. I love Proverbs. I've really enjoyed our time together uh, working through Proverbs, but we're moving into another one of my favorite books of the Bible next week, and that is the book of Ephesians. We'll be moving straight through Ephesians from start to finish. I anticipate we'll be there uh, through about September, and I think it's going to be a really great book for us to study together. But anyway, today we're finally going to cover maybe a topic that you kind of hoped we would cover uh, throughout the entirety of this series, and that is the topic of decision-making, decision-making. So uh, as you can imagine, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Bible. Father, God, we praise you, and we thank you for your amazing grace that has saved sinful people like us. Thank you that in Jesus, because of his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, and his resurrection, we now have full access to you. And that access and and intimacy is, is only going to increase from now into eternity when we finally see you. And Lord, now as we open your word, I pray that the understanding of that gospel message would flow over into our consideration of how we live our lives in the present, that we would be people who consider the fact that if we have truly trusted you for something as huge as our eternity, that we would certainly be actively trusting you with the decisions that we make in our daily lives. God, as I've prepared to teach this final word in Proverbs on wise decision-making, it has occurred to me how challenging your model for living is to people in a culture like ours. Lord, we, we are so accustomed to doing whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, regardless of socioeconomic class or political persuasion. As Americans, personal freedom is something that we treasure. And so I pray that as we're commanded, God, in Galatians, that we would not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but that in love we would use it to advance the mission you've given us and strive to glorify you above all. God, please help me. Help me to articulate the rationale for that mindset well. And help all who are here, God, to receive it, not not from me, but from you, Lord, by, by your spirit. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right. Well, as a pastor, one of the questions that I get most from people is, what should I do? Pastor, what should I do about blank, right? Like, should I date or marry this person? Should I get this degree or this job? Should I move or stay put? Should I say something to this person about this thing in my life or not? You get the picture, right? As a spiritual authority figure, I often get asked for counsel about how I think people should proceed in a whole spectrum of circumstances. Because the reality is, this is a common fact of life. We've all been in situations where we come to a, like a fork in the road, so to speak, and we'll all have to come into that situation again where we need to make a consequential decision regarding what we should do about whatever, right? Proverbs has a lot 
to offer us in this category, arguably, this is actually like the big topic of Proverbs, and we've, we've really kind of been discussing it all along. But today, I want to put forward what I think we can discern from the Bible as a godly decision-making process, all right? Uh, so, so let's do this. I, I want to start by giving you an overarching principle that I think ought to govern all of our decision-making. And then with that principle in mind, I want to offer you kind of a, like a four-step process for deciding what to do, whether it's regarding uh, what you should eat for breakfast or we're past that now, or lunch, okay? Um, or what house you should buy, or something like that, okay? So, so here's the first thing. God made us as human beings in his image. I hope you know that. I say it literally all the time, but I say it so much because it's critical to us understanding what our life is supposed to be all about. God made us like himself, and God made us for himself. We are designed to live in such a way that we know God intimately and that we reflect what he is like to the world around us. And hopefully you can make the obvious connection this doctrine has to all the decisions that we make in life. If you claim, friend, if you claim to be a Christian then please take that seriously. Please take that seriously. People are going to look at you in order to understand what God is like. Okay, But by saying that you are a Christian, you're telling the world, look at me, look at how I live, because I live to reflect Christ. Okay, That's a big deal, isn't it? Praise God. For his grace, we're not expected to be perfect. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that we cannot be perfect on this side of eternity. Only Jesus can. But we are definitely expected to progressively grow in holiness so that people see our lives and they praise God for his goodness. Okay? Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 12, Keep your conduct honorable so that when others speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 2 Corinthians 5, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay? So maybe you believe this already, that, that how you live matters. But the Bible says it's, it's not just because it involves your own reputation. Okay, People are supposed to see the character of our gracious God through us. And so what we do with our time and our money how we speak to people, what we prioritize through the decisions that we make, it all matters. It all matters, like big time, okay? So as a reigning concept over all of our decisions, here we go. As believers, we are expected not to be double-minded, but to seek the Lord's will and his glory 
in everything that we do. Okay? Listen to these scriptures, okay? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I love these verses, okay? These are great memory verses if you don't have them memorized. They're saying, don't be someone who goes through life only trusting in their own judgment. Be looking to the Lord in everything, trying to discern his will for you. And actually, if you do that, this verse seems to be saying that, then generally speaking, things will tend to go well for you, okay? I say generally because sometimes, okay, just because we're walking a straight path in the will of God, it does not mean that everything in life is going to be easy, okay? All right. Sometimes doing the right thing and staying in the will of God is going to bring difficulties and challenges for you. But generally speaking, things will go well, and even when they're hard, you can have the comfort of knowing that you're being faithful. Okay? Uh, let's do this one. 1 Corinthians 10. 31 gives us a similar exhortation. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's not a lot of ambiguity in that verse, is there? Um, It's a similar concept to Proverbs 3. It's just articulated a bit more bluntly. Literally, it's saying, uh, Down to what you eat and you drink, the call of a Christian is to strive for glorifying God. Okay, if, if you're thinking, well, how can I eat? Like, how does what I eat or what I drink affect what people think about God? <laughs> well, it, you know, if you don't consider your health and what you eat and drink, it's going to show. It's not going to be good for you physically. I'm not saying we all have to be fitness fanatics. Okay, um, don't all have to be as strong as Gabe Rizzo, right? Who can, you know. <laughs> deadlift 600 pounds, okay? But, you know, like we should take care in what we put into our bodies that God gave us. Scripture tells us that physical bodies are a gift from God to be stewarded wisely. So we, we should give thought to what we put into them, and we should definitely be careful not to be eating or drinking too much, lest we wind up in the sins of gluttony or drunkenness, which certainly do not glorify God. Okay? In the same way, okay, in the same way that we just rationalize that, okay, eating and drinking, you could do that with every aspect of your life, okay? The car you drive, the clothes you wear, the movies and TV shows that you watch, they all communicate who you are glorifying. All right. I'll just make this general statement. If you drive an overly expensive car that you do not need, wear clothes that are made to be exposing or flashy, and you watch movies and shows full of morally bankrupt content, it's probably not God who you're glorifying. Probably not God who you're glorifying. Romans 14.23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, our faith in Christ, our faith in Christ is not meant to be a compartment of our lives, okay? That we turn on 
on Sunday mornings, and then on Wednesday nights, and then forget about all the rest of our, our time, right? That The Bible says that the Christian faith, faith in Jesus, is meant to transcend every aspect of life and become the reigning factor in all of our decision-making, right? Now, on the negative side of this, there's a warning that flows through Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, against being double-minded. I love how the ESV Study Bible defines it. It says that someone who is double-minded is someone who should be fully devoted to the Lord, but who allows their loyalties to be divided. So, the first and most important thing we need to settle in our minds if we desire to be people who make wise decisions is the expectation as believers that we are not to be double-minded, but to be seeking the Lord's will and his glory in everything that we do. Nothing's off limits from that. Everything that we do. Jesus himself says, as, as Pastor Jason said in the offering talk today, it's impossible to serve two masters. It's impossible to serve two masters. If you serve the Lord Jesus and him alone, and you strive to do everything for his glory, then Proverbs 3 says, he'll make your path straight. Right? But if you waver between serving God and money, or God and pleasure, or God and entertainment, or God and self, whatever it is, that other thing that you are worshiping alongside God is an idol. And it's going to deceive you, and it's going to derail your decision-making so that you glorify it instead of glorifying God. Yeah. All right? I don't have much more time to spend on this because we need to get into the process of actual decision-making itself. But I will say this, okay? This is a hard transition. What transition? Oh, the transition from American culture into biblical culture. The transition from American culture into biblical culture. As modern Americans, it is so ingrained in us that if we can dream it, we can do it. Right? <laughs> we love, we love our perceived autonomy and individualism. We can go to the school we want, get the job we want, marry the person we want buy the stuff we want, and we can do all the things that we want. All just because we want to. And who can tell us otherwise? It's a free country, right? But the Bible tells us that while Christ offers us spiritual freedom, that is, freedom from the enslavement to sin and a promise of eternal life, free from the brokenness of sin. True spiritual freedom is lived under authority of the one who made us and who has our best interest at heart. That's God. That's God. <clears throat> so, <laughs> spiritual freedom 
and political freedom are not the same thing. Okay? I just want to acknowledge that. Because that's a, that's a real hurdle for us contextually as Americans. We live in a society that is increasingly trying to say that you should be able to do whatever and even be whoever you want, no matter how irrational that may seem to everyone else. Okay, I'm not going to get off on that rabbit trail, but um, <clears throat> you can't see from the news just how crazy and harmful that definition of freedom is. Then take it from Scripture. True freedom comes from living under the loving authority of God. Okay? His instruction to us is not meant to be a burden to us, but a help to us. When we live within the realm of God's design, that is where we will find the most flourishing. Okay? Now, if you don't like the sound of anyone telling you how to live, join the club, I guess, you know. Um, or if you don't like the sound of someone telling you how to make your decisions, then look at it this way, okay? God is a father. We find that out in Scripture, okay? God is our heavenly father. Now, as a father myself, uh, I want my kids to play outside, okay? It's good for them. We have a big backyard for that reason. But when they do, I just ask that they stay in our backyard, okay? Now, my house, it backs right up to Lake Silver Road on the north end of town. There's a privacy fence between the back of my yard and one of the busiest roads in Crestview, okay? So I tell my kids to play within the confines of the yard not because I'm mean and controlling, but because I love them dearly. And I want them to enjoy playing outside safely. Okay? If they decide <laughs> there's a mutiny, which could happen, you know, I mean, kids are crazy, right? You know, but uh, anyway, if, if they decide to overthrow me, right, and they climb the fence, they want to go play in the road, they may think initially, wow. It's a big world out here. I have so much freedom. But in reality, the freedom they perceive themselves to have is actually putting them in grave danger. Right? All this to say, the reason we should strive to make wise decisions that glorify God is not only because he's our divine authority, but also because his heart is inclined toward our greatest good. Okay, so hopefully that has you primed and ready to think through a process for wise decision-making, making godly decisions. God has given us a great deal of guidance for wise decision-making. If you have a bulletin today, or if you're looking at the notes online, uh, you can do that through the app or the website. Uh, what you'll see, I hope, is that I have provided you with a fun little illustration today, a little picture, okay? Um, I didn't design it myself. The credit goes to another pastor, Bobby Jamison of Capitol Hill Baptist Church who calls it the conscience spectrum. 
Okay? And basically, this diagram is meant to be a reference tool for making decisions with a good, biblically informed conscience. A conscience, if you're unsure, is just our inner guide for what is right to do and what is wrong to do. Consciences are God-given, and so we all have one. But the Bible tells us that they can be shaped and they can be influenced either for good or for bad. And my hope is that this sermon... And this little diagram helps form our consciences for good. Now, on that diagram, I did make a small edit to Bobby's design. I added some numbers, <clears throat> one through four. Those numbers correlate to four sources of guidance the Lord has given us in life. And I'm going to explain those for you now so that hopefully this kind of spectrum gets crystallized in our minds as we go about our day-to-day making whatever decisions we need to make to the glory of God. All right, so, so let's start on the two ends of the spectrum. You'll see on both ends of the spectrum, the line is completely black, okay? On the left side, it says command with a little negative sign there, and then underneath it says prohibited, and then on the right side, it says command with a little positive sign, and that says, it says required under that, okay? These, these two ends of the conscience spectrum illustrate God's explicit commands. God's explicit commands, Let me read some scriptures to you. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So, So here we see... As we've said, that God is like the perfect father, okay? And he has given us his commands for our good and for our flourishing so that we can have a life that is well-lived, all right? Let's continue. Psalm 119, 105 says, uh, the psalmist says to God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So from all these scriptures and more, we could tag more on here, but we won't for sake of time. Okay, We see that God's commands or his law is good, and he has laid it out plainly for us so that we would be warned from doing things that would harm us, and be rewarded by doing things that are good for us, all right? God has given us lots of explicit commands, and as you read the Bible, you're going to see them, right? The most obvious place would be maybe Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, 
Don't worship anyone or anything other than God. Okay? There are a lot more uh, Old Testament commands, 600-something of them. Uh, they're all still you know, applicable, though not all binding, because some of them had to do with just the people of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, with uh, you know, laws about animal sacrifices, things like that. But in the New Testament, we find out we have a new law, right? the law of the Spirit. And the law of the Spirit does not contradict the commands of the Old Testament, it really clarifies it for believers like us in this new covenant. And if we follow it, what we find out is that it will conform us, it will transform us to be more like Christ. Okay? For example, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Those are commands, right? Those are commands. In your work, work heartily as unto the Lord. That's a command. Don't be lazy or have a bad attitude in your work because your boss is Jesus. Okay. Um, don't neglect to meet together regularly with your church. Hebrews 10, check it out. That's a command to all the people who say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, actually, <laughs> unless you're stranded on a desert island, seems like you do. <laughs> you can read it for yourself. Don't neglect to meet. That's not a suggestion. That's an imperative, Amen. a command, right? Anyway, you, you, you get it. The, the two ends of the spectrum, of the, the conscience spectrum, are negative and positive commands. Things that are prohibited and things that are required. Things God says not to do and things God tells us that we have to do. Okay? And so when it comes to decision-making in your life, this is the first thing you should consider because it's the most clear. It's the most black and white. Ask yourself, would this decision cause me to transgress or break some clear command that God has given? If it does, don't do that thing. <laughs> okay? Or do that thing if it's something God says you have to do, right? Men, Jesus tells us not to even look at any woman who is not our wife in a lustful manner. That means if you're looking at porn, you're breaking God's law. Matthew chapter 5. You've got to stop that. You've got to stop that. It's not a gray area just because it's not physical. Jesus says it's sin. And it's not only harming your wife, it is deadening your own soul, brother. I promise you. Jesus says better to gouge your eye out with a screwdriver or cut your hand off with a table saw than keep doing it. If you continue in habitual, unrepentant lust, Jesus, Jesus says, listen to Jesus, don't listen to me. Jesus says, lust will send you to hell. Okay, so stop. This is black and white. If you need help, you need accountability, guys, we're here for you. We'd love to help you with that. Okay, we'd love to walk with you in that. But whatever it takes, this is a command. We should not be doing it. It's breaking a command, okay? 
I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. Ladies, Romans 1, if you read it, includes gossip as a sin that just like lust will cause people not to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, So if you are talking about people in an ugly way behind their back, you're not just having some girl talk or venting. You're breaking the command of God to love your neighbor as yourself. This is not unclear. You have to bring that to an end. It's hurting you and it's hurting Jesus because it's hurting his people. Okay? Guys, these are just a few examples. I know that's, that sounds like hard and, and harsh. It's because it's black and white. Okay? It's black and white. These are just a few examples. Okay? There's a lot of things in Scripture that fall into the category of command. While God's word is not exhaustive, that it doesn't, out, it doesn't outline every single possible situation you could ever be in okay, and give you every single clear directive on, on what to do or, or not to do, the Bible is comprehensive. Okay? That is, it gives us enough clear direction to determine if what we're doing is right or wrong, wise or unwise. So I, I know I said this last week, but you've got to be in the Word, church. You've got to be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, let me just reason with you. If you're not in the Word, how do you expect to be able to be obedient to God and make good decisions? Like, if you don't increasingly know what God has said about different things, like, follow me here. If you don't know, you could be sinning in all kinds of ways and not even know it. There could be commands in God's word that you don't even know are commands. Okay? Not to mention, if you won't listen to the Lord on the 90% of things that he has said clearly in his word, how do you expect him to guide you on the 10% of circumstantial things that are less clear? Just some, just some food for thought here. Okay, So, so that's number one on Christian decision-making. Is there a clear command? Is there a clear command? If there is... Obey the command. Decision made. Right? Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. A second means of, of guidance that, that God has given us for wise decisions comes from the Bible too. Okay? This is number two. Uh, the historical narrative of Scripture. All right? The historical narrative of Scripture. I'm talking about the Gospels, Acts, the Old Testament books like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Kings, Chronicles. Okay, um, These are books of the Bible that you should be reading. You should be reading these. If you're a newer believer, I would encourage you to have a good study Bible. If you don't have one, come to me. I'll, I'll, I'll get you one, okay? Um, and have some friends who can either help you understand more um, challenging passages or who can direct you to resources that will help you, all right? Um, but, but these books that give us the storyline of God's covenant people, there's all kinds of amazing wisdom sprinkled throughout these books. Now, I'm reading through the Bible in a year this year. And man, the Lord has seriously challenged me 
especially in some of these Old Testament books. These illustrative situations that give nuanced direction to our decision-making. Romans 15 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Right? A few years back, there was a well-known pastor, unfortunately, who said that as New Covenant believers, as Christians, we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Just like pull the pin out and let it fall off the cliff. Um, No. (laughs) No. Those historical books are there for our instruction. Romans 15 says that. So, you know, sure, the, there's these ceremonial and, and civil laws of Israel that are no longer binding because they're fulfilled in Christ, but they're still beneficial for us to read and study. They can be interpreted and applied to our own time for our own instruction. Um, but let me give you, maybe if you're, you're wondering here, let me give you a couple Old Testament examples that would be helpful for your own decision-making, okay? Um, th- this is one I read recently. It's really, really Man, just pointed here. In in Joshua chapter 9, all right, in Joshua 9, God has instructed his people to go throughout the promised land and to rid the land of all the Canaanites who are worshiping pagan gods. He says, if they'll be faithful to do this, he will help them in battle so they can take possession of this promised land. And, And as they start to be faithful, what you see is it works. God says he'll help them, and he does help them, all right? Well, in Joshua 9... There's a group of these Canaanites, specifically known as the Gibeonites. And they decide they're going to concoct this plan to try to stay alive in the land. And so they come up with this little trick, okay? They all put on these old tattered clothes, right? And they take some dry, crusty bread from home. And they take these busted wineskins with them to make it look like they've been traveling, for a long time, right? And they approach Israel. When they talk to Israel, they claim that they've come from a faraway land. Israel's like, what land is that? They're like, a faraway one, you know? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, but we want to make a covenant with you, um, and so let's do that, you know? Um, and so they, they tell this lie to Israel to basically save their own skin. So Joshua and his men are trying to figure out what to do Right? Trying, to what, trying to say, what decision should we make here? Listen to what the text says in Joshua 9.14. It says, So the men took some of their, prov- their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. So, <laughs> instead of praying and asking God for guidance here, like they've been doing all along, these men listen to the Gibeonite story. They, they look at all their crusty bread And they foolishly decide to make a covenant with them. And because they did not ask for counsel from God, they are deceived into making a binding relationship with people that they were actually supposed to drive out of the land. So, um, there's no command in this text, is there? There's no command in this text. But there is a principle for decision-making, isn't there? Before you go and make a binding agreement with someone, you should seek the Lord first. You should seek the Lord first. Okay, one more example. A lot of people know this one, David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11. King David 
man after God's own heart that he is, he unfortunately he commits adultery with one of his soldiers' wives, and he tries to cover it up through several deceitful acts. And finally, by having the guy get killed in battle, okay, pretty messed up. Well, on the front end of that situation, there's a, there's a little foreshadowing clue that would be helpful to people who are paying attention. The way that David winds up sleeping with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, is first, he's on the rooftop. Maybe you've read the story, okay? He's on the rooftop of his palace, and he sees her through the window, and she's bathing. Okay. She's naked. Just a little side note. Ladies, close those curtains, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Guys, don't be looking at people's windows. That's for free, okay? <laughs> Wisdom for decision-making, all right? But 2 Samuel 11, 1, listen to what it says. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So again, no command is given here. But the wise person should read that and think, now why would David hang back and send everyone else to war when he was supposed to be with them? He isolated himself, and instead of staying diligent to be doing his God-given role, he was taking it easy, letting his eyes and his heart wander, and he got distracted, right? This is a warning against idleness in life. It tends to get people in trouble. And if you'll read the historical narrative of Scripture, you will glean all kinds of little nuggets of wisdom like that that you can recall later in your own life when you're trying to make wise decisions, right? Thinking about a business partnership, Better seek counsel with the Lord first, okay? Family going out of town for the weekend? Maybe you should stay productive, brother, instead of just laying there on the couch scrolling Instagram, okay? You following me on this? Okay, so, so first we've seen God gives us a lot of guidance from his word, both in clear commands, but also in the historical narratives. The third God-given means of guidance for decision-making is other people with specialized knowledge and experiential insight. Other people with specialized knowledge and experiential insight. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 13 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, here's the point that Proverbs is making, okay? You are not sufficient to always make the best decisions for yourself. You are not sufficient to always make the best decisions for yourself alone. None of us are. I'm not. Think about how our lives are ordered. As we grow up, we have people in our lives constantly who are there just to give us direction and counsel for the best ways to live. Parents, pastors, teachers, 
coaches, right? We all need a host of wise counselors who will speak truth and wisdom into our lives, especially when it comes to making big decisions, okay? Proverbs 24 says, by wise guidance, you can wage your war and win. Now, some of you are military, and this makes total sense. If you're going into combat with an objective, you need intel, right? You need intel so that you can have a good plan and the right resources. You need an abundance of counselors so that you can accomplish your objective and have victory, right? If you don't have the counselors you need in that scenario, it could mean life or death, okay? The same is true in big decisions off the battlefield. A few bad financial decisions, and you're going to be in a world of trouble. Over your head in debt is not a good place to be, and it's difficult to get out of. Same with relationship decisions. You do not want to marry someone who you are unequally yoked with spiritually. If you're trying to be faithful to Jesus and to your church, but your spouse doesn't give a rip about the gospel, that's not going to make for a relationally smooth life. Okay. I would go so far as to say that there are not many things that will hinder you more spiritually than having a spouse who is not tracking with you spiritually. Okay. Hopefully you see my point. God has placed wise people in your life to counsel you, to counsel you, to give you wise advice. Get this part on the front end of your decisions. On the front end of your decisions. Friend, you should not be making huge life decisions alone in isolation. Ask a handful of people who you trust first what they think. Because, number one, they may know more than you. What? Someone can know more than you. <laughs> Someone can know more than you, okay? Like, they might know more than you about whatever it is you're contemplating, okay? That's specialized knowledge. Or they may have already been through what you're processing, and so they have vital experience. They've been through it, and so they can, they can help you through all the nuances and intricacies of whatever you're trying to do. And number three, here's another thing. I didn't add this to your notes, but it's important to say here, you might be biased. You might be biased, okay? And oftentimes... Because of how we feel in the moment, we need someone to counsel us. Not because they necessarily know more than us, but because they are a neutral third party who can advise us from a rational and non-emotional perspective. Okay, So um, if you're angry about something, if you're fuming mad about something, or you're feeling melancholy, you're depressed, or if you're super excited about a potential opportunity, you should find someone who you trust to shoot you straight and ask what they think before you make your decision. Okay? It's, it's, like, it's like going to the grocery store hungry. You ever do that? <laughs> Never a good idea, right? You're going to buy everything in sight. 
You don't need Oreos, right? But if you're hungry, you might buy them. In the same way, if your emotions are running high, get counsel before you just shoot from the hip, okay? Or make some some gut-level decision. So that's number three on the conscience spectrum. God has given you your church, and in some cases your family and friends, if they're godly, to assist you in having sound judgment. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Church, listen. (laughs) If you will not go, to other people for counsel and listen to what they advise, then you're going to have to learn a lot of things the hard way. Take it from a guy who's had to learn a lot of things the hard way. All right? Pride goes before destruction. And someone who doesn't do their best to surround themselves with an abundance of counselors is prideful. That's a big reason that God has given us a church body because not all of us have the same gifts, talents, and knowledge. We're supposed to lean on one another and trust each other. It's also a big reason why at the Hub City Church we believe in having a plurality of elders and leaders because it's not safe to just have one person calling all the shots. There is strength in numbers, and so we should avail ourselves to the strength that exists in an abundance of advisors who can tell us if something that we are thinking about doing is wise or unwise. You see that on the conscience spectrum? Wise or unwise, and encourage us or discourage us, respectively. Okay? But finally, we've reached number four on the list of godly sources of guidance for wise decision-making. If you're needing to make a decision, okay, and, and, and what you're thinking about isn't constrained by any biblical commands, and you've searched in vain you know, for any other biblical principles, and, and you've asked all your wise counsel, and, and they're not advising you either for it or against it, then you're in the realm of freedom and what is permissible. Okay? But for this wide-open area, I would simply commend to you the model of prayerful patience. That's number four in your notes. The model of prayerful patience. First of all, let's talk about patience. Okay? Biblically speaking, it's usually not a good idea to get into a hurry about anything. Okay? Usually not a good idea to get into a hurry about, uh, especially a weighty decision. Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Proverbs 20, 25 says, It is a snare to say rashly, it's holy, and to reflect only after making vows. In other words, don't just do it and act like it's cool and then worry about the consequences later. Okay? Again, if we're reflecting on the situation from Joshua 9 and the Gibeonite deception, I'm speaking into a situation that's thousands of years behind us, right, at this point. But but I think if Joshua and Israel had waited just a little longer to make that decision, first of all, they probably would have remembered they should go to God first, 
right? Patience would have directed them to God. But also, the Gibeonites might have outed themselves about who they really were. And then Israel could have avoided being deceived, right? So it doesn't tell us exactly how much time passed between their arrival and the covenant, but I think in time, who the Gibeonites were probably would have become evident, okay? The same is true for us, guys. When we get into a hurry, we forget things and we make mistakes. When we get into a hurry, we forget things and we make mistakes. That's just a fact, and thus, patience is a virtue, as they say. So, patience alone Taking sufficient time before we jump into a decision is always wise. But also, as believers, remember, we have God to help us. You know that? We have God to help us. We can pray about things, and God answers. Do you believe that? We can pray about things, and God answers. Because of Christ, we have God as our Father who, who loves for us to come to Him and ask for His help. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. I feel like it might feel a little bit silly how simple this is to say, but we should pray a lot before we make a big decision. Psalm 25 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait All the day long. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Guys, there's a theme in scripture that comes up at least 50 times from what I found. It's the principle of waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord. Sometimes in life, the best thing we can do is pray, give our heart to God on a matter, and then wait. Wait. And I can't tell you how often, when I pray about something like this, and I begin waiting for the Lord, I'll be just reading whatever scripture I'm in and my plan the next day or a few days later or whatever, and the Lord gives me ultra clarity. (laughs) in what I'm reading, okay? Either through a command or a situation or a proverb. He will open my eyes to see my own motives, good or bad sometimes, okay, full transparency, or to see his character in some way that's helpful for the circumstance. Prayerful patience in the midst of a decision, sometimes it may feel like the last thing you want to do. I understand that. You may be tempted to think it's unproductive because we're so impatient, friends. We're so impatient. But God answers the prayers of people who are faithful to wait on him. And sometimes God does things in response to prayer. Okay, Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent now, this is not all the time. This is not like, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, like, you, you do it, whatever, you know. But, but sometimes I'll pray about something where I, I feel like I need to make a decision about what to do 
and the Lord will just act. He'll just act on my behalf. And he'll make the whole situation and, and what needs to be done just abundantly clear. Okay? Now, I can't explain it. Other than that, it's just like a spirit-led thing, man. Okay? It's a spirit-led thing. So don't forget that if you are a born-again son or daughter of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen. In you. He's there to lead us. Sometimes he's going to lead us into repentance. Sometimes to an answer, sometimes to a passage of scripture, sometimes to another person or friend who can help us, okay? John 14 says, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. All right, you're weary, aren't you? I can tell it's been a long, it's been a long one. I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute, but before I do, I just want to mention something that's it's really prevalent on this last point, okay? Um, in our Christian subculture, there is this thing that people do where, if the, you know, you've got the conscience spectrum, right? They basically, okay, professing believers, okay, they basically ignore steps one through three. Okay. They ignore steps one through three. And then they just kind of like extract, they take number four and they extract the prayer part out of it. And they make that their sole way of making decisions. Okay. And so what they'll do is they'll pray about something that they want to do. And instead of waiting patiently and going to the word and seeking wise counsel, They'll use their prayer as a way of just blessing whatever it is they want to do. And then usually they'll say something along the lines of, well, I prayed about it and I have peace about it, so I'm going to do it. Okay? Friends, this is unbiblical. This is unbiblical. I have seen people do all kinds of unwise stuff because they had peace about it, all right? Now, don't misunderstand me. I definitely commend prayer to you as a critical part of your decision-making process. You should not make decisions prayerlessly. But listen to what Proverbs 28.9 says. Proverbs 28.9 says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. It's saying that if you pray for God's direction in a situation, but you will not avail yourself to God's revealed truth and the guidance that it offers, then your prayer is disingenuous, right? It's not really a prayer in the sense that you truly want God's direction so much as you just want God to bless whatever it is you want in the flesh, okay? Now, I'm going to risk upsetting some people when I say this, and man, I'm, I'm, I want you, I'm really not here to upset anybody, but I am here to tell you the truth. I hope you know that about me. I hope you can trust that about me, Okay? Um, 
Biblically speaking, please listen to this. Biblically speaking, God is not the only one claiming to offer peace regarding your decisions. You follow me? God is not the only one claiming to offer peace regarding your decisions. There is someone else. There's another figure in Scripture who we learn about who does that too. His name is Satan. Now listen, only God gives true peace. But if you've read the Bible, then you know everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. Okay? And so if you want to have the internal peace to do something, and you don't want to go patiently to the word, or you don't want to listen to wise counsel, friends, I love you. I love you, and so I want you to know, you have an enemy who will twist Scripture to give you a false sense of peace so that you will make decisions that disregard God. Okay? This is exactly what Satan did when he tempted Eve with the forbidden fruit in the garden, isn't it? He lied to her about God. He twisted Scripture. And he made her feel at peace about going against the wisdom that God had given to her. Okay? So, God has given us a great deal of guidance for wise decision-making. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. It is there so that we would glorify him, but it's also there for our protection. Okay? If you go outside of these things to make your decisions and you don't think critically about the word of God and you reject the admonition of wise counselors in your life, there is someone else who will gladly affirm you in anything that your flesh wants to do. There's someone who will do that. There is. The devil. And he does it not because he has your best interests at heart. He does it because he wants to destroy you. And he wants to, he wants to disregard God. He wants you to dishonor God. Okay? Now, I... I know, that's, that's kind of a tough note to end our series on. But, but just as we started this series 12 weeks ago by explaining, the choice of wisdom and folly is always before us, right? The choice of wisdom and folly is always before us. Will we trust and fear the Lord and walk in the straight path of wisdom or... Will we foolishly lean on our own understanding and consider ourselves to be wise in our own eyes? Which one will we do? Okay. As we close, I just loved what Tim Keller said in a general sense about making wise decisions, about the, just really the trajectory of the decisions we make in life. He said, ultimately, 
If you survey Proverbs for methods of discerning God's will, you will conclude that it does not talk about how God guides as much as whom God guides. Through a long path and a lot of work, we develop integrity and righteousness, and it's through these character traits that God guides us. The more we know God, ourselves, the human heart, the order of creation, the times and seasons, the more we will have wisdom to make good decisions. I love that. Here's the reality. If you read through the story of Scripture, okay, what you're going to see is that even the wisest people in Scripture sometimes make some unwise choices. Okay, that's, that's just true. And sometimes even foolish people are capable of making the occasional wise decision, right? My point is, wisdom is more of a direction than it is a destination, Jesus is our perfectly wise Savior, Lord, and King. And as we walk obediently with him day by day, he will be faithful to grow us into wise and faithful people who increasingly make decisions that glorify him and lead to our flourishing. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, Your word is so good. It's a light to our path. Father, my, my prayer today through a, a difficult word, frankly, that, that you have given us about our decisions and life, God that, God, that we would leave here thinking about this, that we would leave here today really reflecting on the, the process, the spectrum that you have given us by your grace to make wise decisions in life. Father, I pray that we would be, that, that the Hub City Church, the men and women in this room, that increasingly we would be people who want to glorify you in everything, from what we eat to breakfast to what we do for a living. God, we want to glorify you. And so I pray that we would be people who, because we want to glorify you, we're in your word, we're taking seriously your commands, we're studying the historical narrative of scripture to gain the wisdom it offers. God, that we would be people who are not wise in our own eyes, but who seek counsel and advice from others and take that counsel when we really need it. Father, please, please help us to be a prayerful people a patient people, a people who are not rash in their decision-making, just doing whatever they want because they can, like our culture around us. Help us to be people who are formed and shaped by the gospel and who walk in ways that make much of Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.